When I left university, it was the first time I really fully understood how unequal the world is. When you hear the word pirate, you'll immediately think the rogues and villains from Walt Disney cartoons, mainly. The untold history of the golden age of piracy. A group of working class sailors decided to rise up and challenge the establishment, not from a desire to be more violent, but because they were simply deciding to create a better life for themselves. From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Dander, and today I have somebody who I've tried to be I've tried to get on the podcast for a while, and I've I've failed miserably because we just haven't been able to align diaries. And so I'm so happy that she's with me today. She's the author of How to Be More Pirate. She's a facilitator, a speaker, and a coach, and just a genuinely all-round awesome person. So I'd love to welcome Alex Barker to the show. Hey, Alex, how you doing? Hi, I'm really well. Thanks for having me, Paddy. You're welcome. And yeah, like I said, I'm really excited for this episode because I attended one of your workshops last year, I think it was, and I just had such a great time. I felt there was so much learning in that session. And beyond that, I've just been recommending your books to everybody. So in my own company where I work, I had to do an end of year presentation about some of the things that we had achieved. And one of the key messages I gave was, I've learned to be more pirate. So I'd love for other people to do the same. So could you explain this concept to us a little bit, just so people mm. understand what we mean by be more pirate? <laughs> yeah, there's probably quite a lot to unpack in be more pirate, isn't there? So I think let's start with the history. Because yeah. of course, when you hear the word pirate, you'll immediately think of the uh, the rogues and villains from Walt Disney cartoons mainly, or Pirates of the Caribbean maybe. So be more pirate um, was originally a book written by my colleague and co-pirate Sam Conniff that came out in 2018. And in the book, he tells the untold history of the golden age of piracy, which is a period of history from about 1795, no, sorry, 1695 to 1725. So talking only 30 years or so, when this kind of really pure, I call it a workplace rebellion, really, when a group of working class sailors in the Navy decided to rise up and challenge the establishment, challenge their the captains in the Navy and go off and form their own crews. And they became these pirates. And this sort of an evolution from the privateers we were beginning to see who are really working for the crown. But the pirates were really kind of independent, independent thieves. But I think the untold part of the pirate history is that really this movement came not from a desire to be more violent more sociopathic than everyone else, which is really how they're painted, but because they were simply deciding to create a better life for themselves, that actually the condition, working conditions in the Navy were pretty awful, like really high death rates, lots of terrible, tyrannical pirate captains, just a lot of oppression and subjugation as we we saw throughout that period of history. And the pirates really did things differently. When you boarded a pirate crew, you had an entirely different set of rules. And this is not very... this. 
this part of the story is not well told. The pirates were incredibly democratic in the way that they worked with each other. They gave everyone an equal say, an equal vote on the decisions that they were making on, about how to run the ship. They had a very diverse group of people who operated together as pirates. They were incredibly collaborative in that sense because they kind of knew that it was them against the world. So you saw female pirates, you saw pirates from all kinds of ethnic backgrounds. They had social insurance, kind of early form of health insurance for people who got injured in battle. They had equal transparent pay systems. Many historians argue they were very liberal on homosexuality and they had ceremonies for same-sex relationships. So what Sam does in the book is really kind of explode this untold history, this new story about pirates and what that means for how we could reorganize ourselves today. And the book is really an incitement to a bit of rebellion. Looking around at the work, the way that the world is today, we're still dealing with a lot of inequality, huge amounts really, considering what we now know. And a lot of people struggling within the systems that we have. So this is a call to kind of take action, take up arms again, maybe not take up real arms, but, you know, to at least begin to challenge the status quo more outwardly. So there's lots in the book to unpack around how you do that. And the journey that I've been on for the last four years with Sam is really to, is the how. And that's why the second book is called How to Be More Pirate, because I know from being in an organization and working as an employee that if we talk about workplaces, it's a good place to start a rebellion, perhaps, or to start to challenge things. It's not easy. It's incredibly hard to go against the norm, go against the systems that you've been brought up with. And so I wanted to understand like what strategies we could use from pirates and how they work together to actually make our lives easier in work and in life. And that, very broadly speaking, is what it's about. So I take on the modern mutinies, let's say. I work with people and organizations who want to take some of the pirate principles and actually put them into practice. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, such a catchy title that as soon as you mention that to someone in an organization, it just creates that curiosity that, oh, this sounds kind of interesting. I wonder what this is all about. And so how did you get involved with the book and with Sam? Because I'd love to know your background. You mentioned mm -hmm. you used to be an employee and you've seen some of the challenges that people were having at work, etc. What made you really move away from that world and actually start to go in, shake things up a bit? Yeah, it's a really, it's a good question. There's lots I can say on this. I'd say originally... When I left university, I always wanted to do something around social change. I mean, I think when I was around 20, it was the first time that I really fully understood how unequal the world is and that not just it was unequal, but there were people who were devising the systems to actually be this way. And I think that that shocked me in many ways. I may had made the assumptions that things were the way they are because they had to be that way, that there were some forces beyond our power and control that made people live in poverty and all the things that go on in the world when actually I realized we could solve a lot of these things, but for all kinds of reasons, we're not. And I, it made me, it definitely made me want to do something, but I, I wouldn't say at that stage of my life, I was in the position to know what to do at all. I don't think I was particularly brave either. And I had a lot of learning to do as you do when you're 20, for sure. So I ended up working in various organizations, hopping around the place. And I ended up in a place called the RSA. And I'm actually going to talk about this because the RSA is the Royal Society of Arts. It's a really old 
charity that was set up in actually interestingly straight after the kind of end of piracy around 17 1754 it was the beginning of the enlightenment era in london and it was a group of people who wanted to challenge some of the things that were happening around them the kind of changes so really the same spirit they wanted to challenge things like the just the kids going up chimneys to clean the chimneys so they did things like they would put out um uh, prizes for any inventions that could do that. So they had like the first prize given to the extendable chimney brush. And all things like that history really fascinated me. I thought it was a place where radical ideas had started and had grown and were supported. And over the time I was at the RSA, I began to realise that it had become quite institutionalised and that we weren't really challenging the status quo at all anymore. We put out a lot of glossy reports and nice rhetoric around change, but didn't actually do anything that meaningful. We weren't that focused on the impact and it was really just a kind of continual churn of reports and kind of patting ourselves on the back, I have to be honest. And I'll say at the time that I was 100% involved in that churn, making the wheels turn of everything and I wasn't challenging anything. So I'm not going to, I'm not trying to give myself any (laughs) credit for that. But I would, the reason I bring it up is because the RSA is now trying to unionize. I knew at the time that the culture wasn't good and that there was this inherent problem between what we were putting out into the world and what we were, what was actually happening internally. And there was this gap between intention and action. And now it's just become worse and worse. So now the staff have really mobilized. They've actually got a full-on mutiny on their hands. This is a, There's been a change of leadership since I was there. And it's amazing. I'm, I mean, I'm, it's been really hard for them, from what I understand. But I'm so proud of the mutiny because it needs to happen because... Power was getting so entrenched and for a place that would talk openly about the the future of work and what good work looks like and or, and that we need to distribute power to communities, like none of that was being practiced internally. And that's what I suppose fueled me in the end. Like I'd realized I'd gotten comfortable and I'd gotten to a place where I didn't believe in what I was doing particularly. I had no idea how I was supposed to change or challenge any of that. And that's why a lot of people leave their jobs, I think. so. It's definitely that that fueled me. I could literally, I walked away from the RSA and I didn't, and also I'd, I'd caveat and say, I didn't bravely walk away without a job as many of the people who are there now are doing. I took a sabbatical because you could take an unpaid sabbatical after being there for a certain amount of time. And, and then I just thought about what to do. And that was when I stumbled upon Be More Pirate. And I immediately knew that this was the thing that I wanted to do. I don't know, like so many people I've heard, have read the book or seen it. It just speaks to you immediately. I think it's something, it gives you a a sense of the future version of yourself that you want to grow into. And I just thought, I I don't know if I am, but I want to be more pirate. And I read it through and I could see how I could apply all of my skills from the RSA around community building, social change, but we could do it the entirely opposite way. I had really clear ideas about what rules we were adhering to that weren't working. And therefore I could just flip them and do it entirely differently. To give you an example, the kind of community building we were doing before was very much a broadcast kind of community. Like we're the organization, we have things we want to tell you, our members, and there's no dial, there's very little dialogue or mutuality there. And whereas what I wanted to do was create a kind of more like a much more devolved network where it was always mutual, it was always dialogue. I learn more from the pirates than they learn from me, for sure. Like it's all informed by the people who are doing the work, who are doing the daily action of being courageous, 
challenging things like that's where all the the good stuff is so the community is like front and center really and yes we have the kind of core text of be more pirate which is yeah is really great and really helpful but um sam was always very conscious and that was the challenge that he gave to me when i joined him was i have written this book and people are writing to me and it's helping me to take action and i think he always knew that they would have so much more to offer he was like i've written this from my point of view and my venting my frustrations about the world but it what will be interesting is what it can inspire so that's broadly speaking how it happened and from applying to the job i mean sam put out a job advert for a right-hand pirate it was literally that and which yeah always entices you to <laughs> to give it a go but i kind of really i really remember feeling like such a strong gut instinct that this was the right way to go and yeah i like it all kind of flowed out and then we met and i think sam and i instantly kind of connected because i challenged him immediately because i was so fed up at that point as well of things feeling like meaningless <laughs> or like another organization springing up pretending to care about social change so i was just as direct as you can possibly be whilst being vaguely professional and uh, and he seemed to enjoy the challenge so Wow, a fascinating story and backdrop to where you've come from. And Alex, a lot of people, when they hear the word pirate, it's this negative word because we see lots of media publicity about pirates, maybe Somalian pirates or pirates of the Caribbean, where the pirates are slightly bad. So how do you overcome that when you go into an organization and talk about being more pirate? Like, do people see as a negative word, and then you've got to convince them? Like, how do you have that conversation? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both, really, because there's definitely people who are drawn to the word. I mean, let's face it, like, we let our kids dress up as pirates, right? <laughs> and there's something kind of playful and mischievous in pirate, as well as there is sort of, you know, villainous. And I don't really, I don't get too many questions about the Somali pirates because I think people's minds mostly go to the traditional idea of pirate that we have. And I do caveat it and say, Somali pirates only really have the term pirate added on because they use boats. Like, I don't know, they don't really bear any relation to piracy in the traditional sense other than that. I mean, we may as well just call them criminals, bandits, terrorists, like, and all of those words. If we're really going to get into it and studied conflict studies, like, and one person's terrorist is, can be another person's freedom fighter. And and I also would say that, not that I in any way condone violence, but at the time when pirates were using violence, the entire world was incredibly violent. If you compare them, and yes, of course, the pirates in the 1700s did use violence to get what they wanted at times. And there's a couple of points I often mention if we really go down this route. One is that the establishment was incredibly violent and cruel to people. I mean, public hangings were entertainment at the time of piracy. So they were only operating in a kind of normalized environment of violence. Secondly, that pirates, I mean, you could make a very strong argument to say that pirates were less violent than the average kind of crew at the time, partly for strategic reasons, or mainly for strategic reasons, I imagine, because they wanted to preserve their resources. So they didn't attempt to weren't trying to get actively get into battle i think we have this view that pirates were like sociopaths who just went into battle like would just go completely guns blazing at all opportunities and that was completely opposite like why would they want to do that they were only they only used violence and harshly when they really had to and a lot of it was also the drama that they created around the story of piracy deliberately 
to kind of instill fear because the establishment was already doing this. They were already putting notices around London saying, don't join the pirates, they're murderous, awful, immoral people. And so they were like, well, this is if, if this is the story that's going to be told about us, without we may as well run with it. We can't control it. So let's use it to our advantage and let's live up to that reputation. And at least we might be left alone. <laughs> so there was so there's that. And I think very strongly feel that we don't examine enough the difference between criminality and morality. That you can do things that are highly immoral today and still be legal and technically within the realms of possibility. And you can do things that are criminal that arguably are not immoral. Now, I know that will probably, that can ignite all kinds of conversations and controversies, but I think that's at the heart of it for me, that we accept a lot of things as normal that are not right. And in context, I don't think that the pirates are really the people that we should have been worried about because they actually fought for freedom for a lot of people. Before we continue, here's a quick word about the sponsors of this show. So your execs have decided to go through a big transformation to change your ways of working. They've restructured the teams, invested in new tools and techniques, but there's one small problem. How do we measure our improvement consistently across the organization without falling into the trap of relying on what we call vanity metrics? Yup, those KPIs that look great on paper, but just aren't very useful. I want to introduce you to Comparative Agility. It's the world's largest continuous improvement platform. They've gathered over 4 million data points from thousands of organizations so that you can benchmark your maturity against the world index or compare yourself to your industry. They have a wide range of different surveys covering topics such as business agility, psychological safety, DevOps, employee engagement, and many more. What makes these surveys so valuable is that they've been written by respected thought leaders who are experts in their field, such as Mike Cohen from the world of Agile, all the way through to Dr. Amy Edmondson. So whether you're a coach, team manager, or a transformational leader, be sure to check out Comparative Agility to help implement a culture of continuous improvement. Best of all, you can test drive the platform completely free. To find out more, check out the link in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, yeah. again, fascinating. I mean, I can absolutely relate to that coming from India myself. Well, even though I was born here in the UK, but my right. parents are from India and there's kind of open corruption there in lots of guises. And and yet people there sometimes that take that. But then we say India is really corrupt. Yet we see another country where there's lots of corruption, but it's all hidden. And actually, there's probably worse corruption going on than we can even imagine. And, and and like you're saying, sometimes it's just the perspective you're looking at it from. And in some cases, it's hidden rather than open as others. You, re that you raise a really good point there. And I think that's what I was getting at when I was talking a bit about my former employers is like, I, I almost don't mind when the corruption <laughs> or the <laughs> that when it's really on the surface and it's like, when you know you're getting into something, they're transparent about this is the way, even if we take the example of like an employer that is like, we expect you to work until midnight. And this is the transaction that we have here is you get paid a lot of money and you do a lot of work and you probably, you're probably at risk of 
burnout and all these things. There's a sense of, I mean, not saying any of that's good, but I think there are certain industries where there's a sense of that, what that exchange is. But what I dislike so much is when, and people don't tell you that it's like that. And they say, oh no, we care about your well-being," and they kind of gloss it over. And the opposite happens because it's incredible. It's like, I suppose, gaslighting. It's so incredibly confusing to people and difficult to manage when someone's telling you one thing and you're experiencing another. And I think that's the experience of, um, you know, I think I, a lot of that came out in the pandemic where the government is telling you you've got it, you've got it all wrong and then they're doing all this stuff behind the scenes that's incredibly yeah I mean the whole party gate it's incredibly immoral to be arresting citizens for minor breaches when frankly the government are doing much worse so it's, it's that particular form of hypocrisy that I detest and is the it. antithesis of piracy and pirates in my opinion yeah, no, I fully agree. And so, Alex, if I'm now inspired to do something and change <laughs> something, having read the book, like what might I do if I'm working in an organization? I do see things that are broken and things that could be improved. And we say, I, I want to be more pirate. Like, what could be some of those things that I could start changing <laughs> and working on? And what is that mindset that I need? to be more pirate. Yeah, so this is where I think a lot of mainstream thinking falls down, I suppose, and why I appreciate be more pirate as an approach so much is that I don't there is no magic formula. I can't give you a five-step process to get to pirate mindset. If I did, I'd be lying to you. And I think again, we get lied to in that respect. There are different triggers and there are different ways you can start this, and I can definitely share some. It's interesting that you said at the beginning what is be more pirate? Because I'd like to emphasize the more in that. I'm, I don't want you, I don't think you should think that you need to be pirate because it's a big leap from where a lot of us are, especially where I was and potentially where I still am to full pirate. You're trying to move yourself down the spectrum of pirates. So I'd say there's two starting points. The first thing is that you shouldn't, I would not advise trying this alone. If you want to challenge something in whatever environment you're in, you need support. And this is a really key differentiator between a pirate and a rebel. A rebel behavior, I think, is, or the rebel archetype is this sense of a kind of lone ranger who doesn't like authority, who just is a bit of a disruptor. There's an element of disruption to piracy, obviously, but they operated in a crew. It was protection in numbers. And if they didn't, they would have failed 100%. So I would, the first thing would be to talk to some other people about your frustrations, find some allies, people who are also on the same page and agree that these things are wrong. Because also there's a risk that if you think something's wrong <laughs> or and you want to change it, that you might be the only person. And actually I would say that if you're the only person who wants to change something, that maybe actually the status quo is fine. That's just a sort of controversial point there that you've got to appreciate the, like the group and the group feeling. So, but first of all, yeah, find a few other people, find some allies who might be willing to break some rules with you. And the second thing is I usually say is to start with a small, bold action. So if you identify something kind of big that you want to challenge, it might be like, I don't know, the pay structures. I mean, that's something that comes up a lot, like transparency around pay or things like recruitment. If we're talking inside work, then figure out something that you can do in the next couple of weeks, as soon as possible, really to start to get the ball rolling on that thing. Don't think about the whole thing at once. Try and break it down into something that is actionable, that is logistically easy to actually achieve. So not an unrealistic action that you can just, yeah, create some momentum around the feeling. Because this is something about 
what Be More Pirate is as a kind of energy. <laughs> you need energy. It's a lot of traditional activism, I've found, can be quite a draining experience because you're focusing so much on what's wrong. And I, in piracy, I say like, we really need to flip that. You've got to not focus so much on what's wrong all the time, but focus on what the alternative could look like and how are you going to make that happen. So the first step is to raise your energy levels by creating something you can actually do. And sometimes that's just something really simple, like sending an email to somebody. You can find a person who might know more about how to challenge or how to change something and just say to them, like, these are my thoughts. Would you be open to a conversation? Someone you wouldn't normally think to approach. So there can be all kinds of really small things. And I've got lots of examples that I use in the book and in workshops and things. And I think we often say practice asking uncomfortable questions as well. That's a good way to begin to open up the door to change. But asking uncomfortable questions is difficult. It's not something that we necessarily feel able to do easily. So I'd say once you've found a crew, start to talk to each other about, yeah, what are those, what are the kind of more taboo things that you're not able to maybe raise in meeting spaces or in the places where you need to say it to the people who need to hear it? Yeah, I think those are probably the starting points, I'd say. And I think there's just one other thing around mindset. In the book, I was talking to a friend earlier about this. We say that there, for people who turn pirate, let's say, they have a kind of no one is coming to save you moment, which is the moment when you realize if you want to see a change in your lifetime in whatever area you're looking at, you're going to have to do something that, that no one's going to be around to solve the problem for you necessarily. And that you need to take that sense of the burden and the responsibility on to a degree. But within that, what you often see when people start to go through that process, they just really step into their own agency and power. And it can just be such a catalyst, your sense of leadership in a way that if things are kind of nice and steady and stable, you can't get there. Like, And it sounds so counterintuitive. It's nice to rise up the leadership ranks through kind of gradual progression and, and you doing a piece of work and then it going well and then it's somebody else saying this is great. But actually the adversity is often so much more of a catalyst. So not to say I want to thrust people into adversity necessarily. I'm just recognizing what I've observed over the last few years. Yeah, I was, that just prompted me to think about, could you give us some examples of organizations where you've helped people be successful mm -hmm. in this approach? And like, what were some of those outcomes? That'd be mm -hmm. really interesting to hear some of those examples from you. I mean, I, I, I sort of see things all the time. I think one of the first things I wanted to say was around pirate codes. It's one of the first steps that teams usually work on, which is where you create a clear sort of set of principles for yourself to at least align everyone on what it is you're trying to achieve. Like, what do you stand for and who are you standing up against? Because that first kind of bonding has to happen around like, what do we actually, what do we actually care about here? Um, there's many examples in the book of that. And it, yeah, I, the pirate code really is important to ground everyone. There's a company called Tradecraft, which is one of the opening stories in the book, who were the first people that I met when I went to the first event with Sam, right at the beginning of the journey. And they stood on the front row of this event and were like, we have used this book to get ourselves out of a complete economic financial crisis. <laughs> we, and then they had a kind of company, no one is coming to save you moment. Like they had, they asked themselves the most uncomfortable question that a company can ask, which is, should we even exist? Have we done our work? Are we done? And should we just disband? And they decided to not do that because they kind of went back to their 
original mission and kind of using a lot of the questions in Be More Pirate really decided that they had something to fight for still. And that narrative just hadn't emerged fully and they hadn't been explicit about it, but that they wanted to go back to their kind of original radical roots around fair trade and, and really fight for what they had. And that has taken them on a whole kind of journey. They did lots of practical things around streamlining, but it was the purpose and the mission and the sense of narrative that drew everyone together to have enough energy to fight and to do all the practical stuff that had to happen to get themselves out of the bind. So that's one company that really came to mind. They're obviously quite a small, and they are commercial business. They have a charitable side as well. I'd, I'd like to just emphasize a couple of others because they're a, a, maybe a bit bigger and a bit places you'd less expect to see pirates. So in the book, we have a story from Mercedes-Benz, a small division of the Mercedes-Benz Vans division in the UK. So it's obviously a huge company, but they had an in sort of internal mutiny around their marketing strategy that challenged a lot of the rules around how they did marketing. And I'll go through it quickly, but the, the gist of it is, and this isn't in the book, this is a development that happened during COVID. They, their new strategy paid off so much quicker because when COVID happened, and lots of small businesses shut down, they had this new relationship-based marketing strategy. And they'd spent a lot of time building relationships with entrepreneurs and small businesses. So they had all these new kind of contacts in place and they were able to create this kind of new like mini business model to support small businesses during COVID and keep them mobile, I should say, using their vans. And that was just something that originally that marketing strategy wouldn't have paid off as, as quickly as they thought it would. And it was seen as quite risky. And just because of the pandemic and all the uncertainty, it worked. So that was kind of one story. And I think it's better explained probably in the book, but it's a bit long to kind of go into. But I wanted to share one other, which was, again, two sort of big corporate companies. Because I do think that being a pirate in the Navy is harder, but when you are the results are so worth it. Like changing corporate culture is a beast, but it's so it's so needed. And there's a really amazing guy in Salesforce, which is obviously again a huge global technology company, who's so pirate. You just meet him, and this person is gonna make a change. And he read Be More Pirate, and then realized he's like, great, I can take this to use with our clients. And he had been commissioned by a another big company to do a digital transformation project, and. They had given really tight deadlines for that. And he said, you can do this, but only if you're more pirate about it, if you change all the ways that you work currently. And so they created a sort of pirate code, a really brief pirate code that was just challenging four major cultural norms within the company in order to get them to work quicker, to be more experimental, to take more risks, and to fundamentally be comfortable with the uncomfortability of all that culture change so that they could prototype and test really quickly to achieve the long-term timescales they've been set. So it was, yeah, it kind of came down to that code. And a lot of it is around challenging kind of cultural rules first, because that's what enables us to go and do the bigger stuff. Like, I think we can sometimes focus a lot on the external things that we want to see change in the outside world, but we have to tackle that internal stuff first. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. There's some amazing examples there. And uh, I think Reading the book will definitely bring those to to life in terms of the detail behind them. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing those. I had a quick question about the two books. So if somebody out there is wanting to go on this journey and start to know more, would they start with Sam's books first and then to yours? Or can they jump straight into yours? Like what's the best approach? I think you can jump straight into mine because I reiterate a lot of the pirate history at the beginning. But I think Be More Pirate is so good. And 
so many people use it as a bit of a Bible that I think it's worth reading both. The only thing I'd say about Be More Pirate, which Sam and I talk about often, is that it's some of the examples might feel like less relevant or less recent because it's it came out in 2018. But no, I still think all the history's there, like just for the pirate history, which he goes into a lot in a lot of depth and all those characters, it's it's really good. And mine is more on the kind of examples that I think are perhaps a bit more relatable to people working um yeah, working in companies and want to think about how to to make change because mine was based more on what I'd observed working. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And in terms of resources, so if people want to continue this journey, obviously the books, mm-hmm. if you just let us know how people can get hold of the books and just reiterate the names, what are the ways in which people could learn more about this sort of movement yeah. and this amazing concept that you guys have come up with? So yes, we have two books. <laughs> there's there's Be More Pirate and then How to Be More Pirate, which you can buy, I would happily suggest you buy them off our website where if you do i will wrap them and wax seal stamp them so that's more fun way awesome so yeah we also have we did a podcast for a couple of seasons so there's you can find that as a link on the website but also just on spotify and apple podcasts Mm -hmm. we've interviewed people that we consider to be good role models for being pirates so different kinds of rebels and rule breakers and but very much people who are fighting for their values so that's quite a nice lens into our thinking as well and if you go on the website you can find a link to sign up to the newsletter we send very asynchronous <laughs> regular newsletters and there's also a meetup group so if you go on the website there's a kind of page for the community and there's a meetup group and I do try to hold like regular open conversations for anyone who wants to drop in and just talk about all of these ideas and how to work on them. So there's one next Friday lunch, but I don't think this is going to come out in time. <laughs> but the, but yeah, if you check out the meetup group and join that, then you'll see any upcoming events. Fantastic. And I have to vouch for Alex. I attended one of your workshops and it was phenomenal. Oh, yes. So yes. Sorry, and also you can hire us to do <laughs> workshops. God, I'm a terrible salesperson. <laughs> So, go yeah. to a workshops. Go to a workshops. They're really we good. Like to do this in a. Oh yeah, there's two more things I should add. We do workshops, so about three hours ish long for teams who would like to kind of like go through all of this pirate idea mindset. It's all about rewriting your rules. So we'll take you through what the rules that you want to break and the new rules you want to create. And I'd say that we are working on an, a more immersive program to take people through a longer journey at the moment, which I'm really excited about to give you a more like in depth version of being pirate and get people to practice it every week for a certain amount of weeks. So yeah, thanks, Patty, for the reminder. <laughs> can we dress up for that immersive experience? Oh, of course, you can always come as you like, yeah. <laughs> With the eye patch and stuff, that would be super cool, I think. Yeah, we should get everybody to put their best pirate gear on. I love the the fact that you guys use all of the terminology as well. You talk about mutinies and the pirate code and all of these things, and it's almost like a whole set of vocabulary that and terminology that you've brought with the concept and that's really cool I, I love that i think it just adds even more authenticity to it rather than it just being about the backstory of pirates and then we we kind of switch over to the modern lingo that we use today so that's really awesome we i mean we really do live it like i'm we talk like this to each other <laughs> like i say like i navigate by a compass not a map if map represents a linear way of, of navigating with set milestones like a compass is more of an internal navigation system where you navigate 
based on your strengths and your weaknesses and your motivation. And you don't worry too much if the landscape around you changes. So all these things I do bring in. And that's why we're doing the course, because I really want to, there's so much more depth to it. And you only know that once you really get into it. And I'd also just add, Paddy, that again, something we'd add into the course is that storytelling is a huge, huge component of this. I mean, a, a lot of places that are seeking to create change with people don't involve storytelling very much. And I think this is just a big missed opportunity because we are meaning-seeking creatures, right? So we like stories to make sense of things. And Pirates does that really well. And that's why this works, I think, more effectively in contexts. Yeah, no, I have to agree with you. I find the amount of times where you turn up to a meeting and people are, I guess, sharing the strategy for the next six months, 12 months, and it's a bunch of boring slides and there's literally no connection. It's all the same old lingo. We're going to be cheaper, faster and all of this good stuff. But I think you're absolutely right. Having a meaningful story where people connect and empathize, you just buy into the philosophy in that way. So yeah, more of that, please. Everybody out there, don't settle for those bland slides. I think, yeah, let's be more pirate <laughs> in that respect. Yeah. So Alex, I really appreciate you spending these minutes with me. I feel I've become a little bit wiser following this conversation. So I really appreciate that. And good luck with the new adventure that you're on with the immersive experience. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you giving me the space to talk about these ideas. Yeah. <laughs> it's really been a pleasure and I'm a big admirer of your work too. Oh, thank you so much. I just wish we had like prepared some costumes for the episode so anyone mm. watching on video would have seen us with <laughs> lots of cool pirate outfits yeah but i'd also say that like pirate comes from the inside that's all the best pirates i know it's less about how they dress and how cool or like rebellious they seem on the outside <laughs> and yeah maybe don't judge a pirate by its cover having said that i've got loads of eye patches here and i've got so much pirate paraphernalia I have no idea i've got socks i've got just a lot of things with skull and crossbones on. So, <laughs> Awesome. On that note, Alex, I'm going to bid you farewell and thank you so much for your time. Cheers. Thank you.